When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And today we're going to be doing the final word on Sunday's draw against Middlesbrough. Looking forward to the challenge up at Huddersfield at the weekend and then anything else on the Fulham agenda, including Tim Ream, the new king of Twitter, and also changes to the Fulham Academy, which are afoot. And here to discuss everything with me today is Fulham's writer for The Athletic, Peter Rutzler. Yeah, hello. Hi, sorry. That's a strange introduction. Hi, Sammy. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, fine, thank you. Almost like I caught you off guard. Um, <laughs> it's not like I've been sitting here for a while waiting for this As if it was a surprise that you were on a podcast. Like, me? Oh, Oh yeah, I do this every Thursday. Uh, and Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Peter. How are we? That's far, far more controlled, that, from Jack. <laughs> well, he's fine. He's a seasoned pro. He is on a pod streak, to be honest. He does about 25 per week. So I guess he's slightly more trained for the introductions than yourself, is it, is, Peter. Is it 20, it's not 25. No, no, it's definitely not 25, is it? Is it 25? No, it's not 25. No, although I, am, I was saying to Sammy, I'm on a 185 streak on, on ranks where I haven't missed an episode. So it's, um, That's good going. it's, it's, well, you, it's, it's a year and a half we're going. Keep you're definitely running. not on that on here. No, no, no you're <laughs> not quite. I mean, there's a rotation on here, Peter. That's the key, right? Like, but I'm back. I'm back. It's important. It's, it's nice to be back. That's all I'm saying. You're on a three streak for Fulhamish now. That's that's quite big. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. We have we've had worse starts to seasons. Okay, then. Well, the football season is back and it is the perfect time to subscribe to The Athletic. You can join now to get all of Peter's great articles on Fulham and so much more from the Premier League, Football League and a host of other sports. And if you sign up now, you can get 33% off the full price of a subscription. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. You will not regret it. Right, let's get into the final word then from Sunday. Uh, And Peter... What did you make of the experience of reporting on Fulham from a full Craven Cottage, fullish Craven Cottage? And even though the result wasn't what we wanted, it must have been a real nice day for you because you had to do a lot of days last year at Craven Cottage with yourself and maybe a couple other journos knocking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was much nicer to be uh, in a ground that felt alive. Uh, with human beings in it and there being noise coming out of it and uh, just adding something to the game. Um, also helpful when you're trying to take a note or you're writing something down or you're trying to tweet or and then something's happening in the game and you can hear people like the emotions, you can hear it. It makes things much easier from that perspective. Also got into the press room for the first time um, since I started covering the club for The Athletic, which was okay, actually let's, a let's, let's hear the review then. Um, you know, food, ambiance, tea, oh, no, coffee. We're not, we're oh, not no, no food, yet. sorry, no food. Well, but There were sandwiches, but I brought my own, so I didn't have any, so I can't review it. Pack lunch, Peter. I just didn't expect it. it Pack lunch, just, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you have, to, you have to come prepared these days, but then yeah, out of the blue, there was food. So um, 
yeah, review. Review. I mean, you know, it is what it is. Good press room, nice little space. Um, Post match press now face to face with Marco, which was fun. Ah, so you've seen yeah. a Fulham manager for the first time as well. Well, I did see him after Charlton as well. So, okay, you know that that that's first time after a competitive game though. Let's, let's first time after a competitive game. Yes, no, that's not true either because in the Carabao Cup last year we saw Scott Parker face to face. There you go, pitch side. Something. Did the Carabao just not care about COVID? Well, they, they did, but it was it was distanced, but by the pitch. Okay, so it was yeah, it was it was yeah. So cold. only for Premier League games that you could potentially at any risk, you know, Carabao, it's the Carabao, no one cares about it's the Carabao. Car- Carabao is a secure environment. You okay. Don't worry about these things. <laughs> that it's, is it has, good to it hear. Has, uh, many effects. Uh, and um, just generally your thoughts on the, on the game itself? Um, well, obviously it was very frustrating the way it panned out. It was, it was a game where Middlesbrough did not look like scoring at all um, for about 75% of it. Um, but then you speak to any, any Fulham fan, it's like, well, we all knew they were going to score. I guess that's that's Fulhamish, isn't it? So um, I thought there were a lot of positive uh, and encouraging signs, um, particularly uh, similar to Charlton in that you could see what Fulham were trying to do. Uh, I thought it was encouraging the way the fullbacks pushed on. Harry Wilson, of course, was the, the real bright spark. Um, it looks like he's really going to contribute in the final third this year. Um, I know with the outlay, you get the comparison to, to Cavalera Noca, who, who did okay two years ago, but I feel like Wilson will be a step on in terms of the goals and assists he may be able to provide uh, this year. And um, it, it still feels a bit work in progress. Um, I thought Josh Onima did okay in midfield, but I've had a lot of feedback saying that people didn't think he did well. But, but my, I thought he linked quite nicely with, Ooh, with Wilson. Strong on that disagree from me there. Yeah, I thought Josh yeah. was good. Yeah. Okay, good. Place? Okay, fine. We're on the same page. So, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. I, I I genuinely thought he had a really good game. Um, yeah, the way he linked play, I thought his touches were good. I thought he was the one who was trying to progress the ball the most in in, in midfield. Um, he tailed off. He I get, tailed off a wee bit, would I argue? But it, it, overall, I'd say yeah. up to about sixty sixty five minutes, he was excellent. Yeah, no, exactly. But uh, yeah, in short, uh, I also enjoyed the fact that you know the weather mirrored exactly what was happening. Um, it was a lovely day, and then Borough scored, and it just you know pissed with rain and uh, <laughs> felt a bit miserable for a bit. Um, so I mean, overall, um, it's okay, but like, the, you know, working progress. The um, the scenes uh, from the front of the Hammersmith, Johnny Haynes, and Putney ends when that rain came down was like something out of Platoon. It was just <laughs> like get off the beach, kind of vibes. There was umbrellas, coats, everything. People just trying to duck out of the way of it. Fortunately, the ground was kind of like not so full that it was um, that it was possible to kind of half move seats. But yeah, it was it was a very entertaining. Uh, Jack, the reaction to the game has been one one of um, more positivity than you'd probably expect if it wasn't like the first game of a, of a new regime. I imagine if this had been Scott Parker and the exact same game happened, I imagine there'd be Fulham fans frothing at the mouth after that one. But most people seem to be fairly lukewarm to what happened on Sunday, could take the positives out of it, could see the brighter side of it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've said this before, that I think we, we tend to give new managers the benefit of the doubt unless there's unless there's something quite drastically wrong with with, with how they've begun a campaign. And, and there wasn't huge amounts wrong. We were a little bit toothless in the final third, but we, we had quite a lot of possession. We had quite a lot of territory. We, we tried to take the game to Borough, I think, in large swathes. And you know what we saw was a manager try to try to go and win it right which we haven't seen in ages and it, it was there was a moment there that 
you know, when we went to 4-1-4-1 or even a 4-1-3-2 at one point, which was genuinely very chaotic, um, you know, there, there was a moment that it felt like Fulham were were kind of off the off the chain, you know, out of the out of the straps. And there was this kind of sense that it could go either way. Now, I don't want that to become, you know, a point for the season. I don't want Fulham to be playing basketball matches in the end of every 10 minutes with, with games to go. But considering it was a first game, considering, you know, that, this was a good side with a manager who knows this division incredibly well in Neil Warnock, who had set up to spoil um, and who who knew they were going to play the way that they did. The fact that Marco Silva took the handbrake off and just went, go for it. Let's see what happens. I think most people would be like, eh, OK, that, that's quite fun. There's enough there to to experiment with to make us think that there's something to believe in. And look, like I say, I don't want that to become a, I don't want Fulham chasing games in the last 10 minutes every single week. I'd like to put games away. We could have put this game away if we take in some of the chances we've created in the second half. But on the whole, I think people were just excited to see a manager trying to win a game rather than not lose it. And there's something to be said for that. I mean, Peter, do you think that what we saw on Sunday is a lot of what lies ahead for Fulham, uh, you mentioned in your piece that you know, Fulham had 16 attempts on goals, 67% possession, but Middlesbrough were extremely physical, were there to get a point. Um, ultimately, that's that's what they got. Or, or, you know, I'm sure they'd have taken all three if they could have, but they, they had clearly a game plan to stop Fulham and not really to play themselves. It is being reported widely that it is a weaker championship than normal outside of maybe the top three or four teams. So maybe outside of those games, are we going to see a lot of teams particularly coming to Craven Cottage just hoping to hang on weather storms and and nick points? I think so. I think, you know, that's got to be expected, not just in terms of what's expected of Fulham, but, you know, the quality in the team. Um, Fulham do really have a have a target on their back. Uh, in the same way that the three relegated sides do, um, maybe a little bit more so with, with Fulham because of the promotion experience within there, um, the manager they've got. And I think, as I said in that piece, the, the sort of the challenge will be trying to overcome that in a way that doesn't become one quite, could, could become quite turgid. Uh, but then also actually to making sure there are, that we don't end up with too many scenarios like this. Now, you know, the championship is a really long season. I've just been looking back over the last four or five seasons. I think you can afford to drop points in about 16, 17 games, which is actually a lot more than I realised if you want to get automatic promotion. Um, so it's not the end of the world, but I, I, I think there has to be that sort of realisation that it's going to happen. But Fulham have more quality than most of the teams and, and it's about making that making that show in these games. I imagine Borough, we, we talked about Borough in the, in the preview podcast being one of those sides looking potentially to, to sneak into the playoffs. So they're, they're one of the better teams. Uh, and if they're a team that's going to go to Craven Cottage to essentially try and take something, they're going to be quite good at it. And they were a very physical side. I think they were man-marking in the middle of the field. Sam Morsi was loving the kicking the young kids in, in Francois and Carvalho. So that's just something that's got to be got to be adapted to. And, 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 and um, that'll be Silver's, Silver's biggest challenge, really. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's look ahead to Huddersfield on Saturday at the John Smith Stadium, uh, three o'clock kickoff up in West Yorkshire. And Jack, this is a Huddersfield team that are very much past the peak of their powers. It's kind of hard to imagine that actually Fulham were relegated with Huddersfield only a couple of years ago. And, and that team that you know went up in place of Fulham in that playoffs was was a really impressive Huddersfield side okay yes I know that the way they went up was a little bit 
throw out the back door, negative goal difference and just won it on penalties, didn't score any goals. But still, you know, there was there was there was quality in that Huddersfield team and and it's it's a shame in a way to see how far they've fallen because they really should have been able to build on two years in the Premier League and become a championship force and I mean, a lot of people got them tips to go down to League One, and 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 it's such a shame how they've fallen. Yeah, uh, including me. So uh, it was that was a, a preseason prediction of my own. I I think you look at it, and there are some sides who who go up and they they bounce around like Fulham. There are some sides who go up and stay up, and you look at Wolves, and then there are some sides who go up and they're not able to you know, take the positives, the advantage of, of what they get from a year in the Premier League or two years in, in Huddersfield's case. And and especially that, you know, that first season where, where they stood, they stayed up and they, they had some brilliant results, uh, most notably, I think twice against Man United. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you look at where they are now and look at this squad and you look at it and go, where, where is all the talent gone? And, and it's a strange one because there are still names in here that you recognise. You know, Janino Bakun is still kicking around in here. Jonathan Hogg's still kicking around in here. There's, there's some players that you go, hang on, you were part of all of these sides. How are you now in a side scrapping to stay in the division? But, I mean, that is the turnover. And I think, especially in terms of managers, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a tough couple of years for Huddersfield. And I, when Carlos Corbran went in, obviously he came over from, from Leeds as a coach and, um, and then came in with that kind of Bielsa-esque philosophy, if you will. Um, you, you thought he was going to, to kind of push them onwards. And, and instead, I think they've, they've ended up as a kind of halfway house where their style doesn't quite reflect the players they've got. The players can't quite carry out the the manager's kind of wishes to the extent that he wants them to and they're sort of stuck between stations so yeah I mean I, I think this is an element of, of a game where Fulham have to look at this and and go and try and win it and and obviously you say that every week with this Fulham team right and and there are good players still in in this camp and you you look at the likes of, of Levi Colwell I think is probably the obvious one that stands out uh, on loan from Chelsea he's, he's a really good player and, and someone who's going to I'd imagine have a, a pretty decent season you know even in a struggling side um there is players that can hurt you here but on the whole if Fulham don't come out of this with three points I think they'll be disappointed I agree with Jack I think you look at Huddersfield start to the season as well I mean you know, they drew a derby on the opening day and that's a derby team that were really put under the cosh by League Two Salford and I'm sure Salford will do well this year with the backing they've got but um they are a club looking the other way and it, it is interesting I mean they they're operating on a much tighter budget now um I think they've changed uh, ownership now. They've, it's uh, Phil Hodgkinson's taken over from from Dean Hoyle, I think, uh, and and you know they've got an interesting manager in, in, in Corbyn. And, and I, the, the the question really is whether the two sort of fit. You know, I mean Corbyn, if he is of that, be able to sort of school that 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 sort of pressing style or, or wants to play in that sort of manner. It, it, it can be quite difficult when you're working on a tight budget and also when you're looking at the wrong end of the table. Time isn't necessarily going to be on your side and. He has had a full year now, hasn't he? So uh, it started really well. And then second half of last season, I've just been looking, I think it was three wins from 25, something like that, um, which is which is not great. Um, I think there's injuries and you know, squad depth is, is part of that. But the squad is nowhere near the, the Premier League squad that it was. And um, I, get, I, guess that, I guess that comes down again to, to sort of backing you get with, with different clubs. And, and Huddersfield have tried to sort of consolidate now that they've, they're coming out of come out of um, parachute payments from a Fulham perspective you know this is the, these are the must-win games um, the type of games that you'd expect them to put away as we mentioned before with Borough I'm sure Huddersfield would love to take a scalp in, in Fulham and they'll probably set up that way if they can but um, 
yeah, I mean, you, you look at it on paper and it, it should be straightforward. Famously, Sammy, we, we went up to Huddersfield once in a game that we really needed to win in the Premier League. Uh, we lost 1-0 to an own goal on there. They didn't have a shot on target. We were rubbish. And then uh, we went to and did the famous Whisper podcast. So let's yeah. hope for non-repeating ideas this weekend. Hopefully the logistics mean that I won't need to whisper on, on Sunday's podcast, uh, but you, you never know what can happen in the next uh, 48 hours that might mean that I will need to. I, I don't know why I can look at nearly every squad in the championship and see a player that I'm like, oh, don't come on. You're clearly going to score against us. And, and Huddersfield just there lurking on the bench is Fraser Campbell. Just one of those players that I'm like, oh, he will probably score against us, won't he? Because he's just, he, he's in that mould of players. I can see like Cameron Jerome when we play Luton later in the season as well. Absolutely guaranteed to, to bag one against us. Um, Jack, they, they line up with a, with a 3-5-2. Um, do you think Silver's going to try and adapt his his squads to play against that formation? Or do you reckon actually this season we're going to see a lot less adaptive tactics and we're going to see Marco Silva, you know, stick to his guns with the with the four one three two um kind of changing throughout the game, maybe to a four one four one that we saw against Barra. Yeah, I mean we we saw Barra set up as a three five two, right? So I don't see why it would be any different against the Huddersfield side. Um I, I think it will be it will look like a four two three one um to begin with and 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 I think it might shift out from there. Um I can't see him going five at the back unless it's really a necessity you know he's obviously done it before but I think this is a a Fulham side that will want to stamp their authority on games and 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 push forwards and and try and you know control the midfield battle um so so I think that we won't see too much of that five at the back this season it might be something we see later down the line if we're trying to you know hold on to things or 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 kind of just see things out properly um but I I just don't think it's going to be used in in many ways I can't see Silver trying to adapt like we say you look at the Fulham squad and you think this is among the strongest in the division you don't adapt a strongest squad to deal with with other squads that's not how it works right you you try and impose your own game plan upon them and make them try and adapt to fit you and and if that happens and if you know Huddersfield do go with this system then we're gonna we're gonna look to try and one isolate those strikers one-on-one and and mark them out of the game in in the way that we try to do against against uh, Middlesbrough um, and and also just have that midfield three-on-three and try and dominate that battle and, and control that so yeah I'd be surprised if we see any shift. Can only can only look at what Silva's done before I think in teams where who have needed to sort of dominate games, so Estoril or Sporting Olympiacos, generally has been pretty consistent with his 4-2-3-1 uh, or, or a 4-3-3. Three, three. I think I think Borough may even have been a 4-3-3. Three, three. I think maybe a little bit of compromise in there to to adapt. I think Fabio was a little bit more to the left, a little bit deeper, and, and Josh was doing a similar role on the right. But I think flitting between those two is probably what we'll see for the most part. I mean, they could be famous last words. We could end up seeing Silver develop some kind of back three and, and, then, and, and then stonk in the league that way. But... Um, yeah, as, as Jack says, it will be. Um, I'd imagine it will remain consistent. That's that's still Silver's style of play, and I think that's been pretty pretty set wherever he's gone. Really, I think it was only Harlan and Watford mainly. I think he used it a bit at Everton, a back three. Yeah, um, but Harlan Watford are teams at, uh, at the other end of the table where a, a free is, pr- provides you that that um, that platform to build if you're if you're a weaker side. So yeah, yeah. and what's interesting, I think for me this weekend. Um, is the return of a Saturday three o'clock that's 
not on the telly. Uh, we've got quite a lot of them coming up, but uh, last year we got so used to the kickoff times being s- so wild and, and always being available on, on the TV. Speaking of TV, I know there's a lot of um, international fans who will be listening who are who are quite upset by the £170 that the club are charging for the season ticket, which is a big increase. Um, there were some interesting words in yesterday's um, Fulham Supporters Trust meeting with the club where the club said that... Um, Um, Even though it was cheaper elsewhere at other clubs, that was an early teaser rate that wasn't available to Fulham because they don't use iFollow. It does seem very disappointing um, that those prices um, have gone up a lot. I think if you're an international fan, it'd definitely be worth uh, trying to check out the Fulham Supporters Trust meeting notes um, when you get a moment because there is quite a lot of detail on it in there. Um, I know we got a lot of messages to uh, Fulhamish last week um, about it. But yeah, if we're not going to the game on uh, Saturday, we'll have to try and uh, find a way uh, of non-traditional means of, of trying to uh, watch it. Let's put it that way. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, and then afterwards, we're going to be discussing Tim Ream. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. And it's Sammy here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello, everyone. Okay, Peter, a few articles from yourself in The Athletic this week. Let's go to one that actually came out last week, but we didn't really have time to discuss because it was the first game of the season and we were previewing the the championship. Um, Was your interview with Tim Ream? Um, He was talking about last season, not being obviously how, how he wanted it to go both from a team perspective and a personal perspective, because he, he didn't really play, but you know, he's looking ahead to this season and he, and he seems confident and up for it. I thought it was a pretty good performance from Tim Ream. I've heard mixed reactions on his performance on um, Sunday for, from, from around the grounds. He's also suddenly become very active on Twitter. Um, kind of like your, your old when your older brother picks up Twitter for the first time. It, it's a bit it's a bit wild, but also I quite like it because it's Tim Ream and I think he could do what he wants. So, um, you know, he's interacting with the fans. And um, I saw that uh, someone tweeted him um, saying, like this, Tim, and I will get them uh, your name on the back of a shirt on this season's shirt. And then Tim responded, uh, proof or it never happened. And to be fair pl- and fair play to sumptuous Seri, uh, who, um, was the person that tweeted him, uh, showed him instantly a receipt of him buying the 75 oh, pound John- shirt with 13 ream. Sean um, Seri won't be happy with that. He's lost sumptuous Seri. Yes. Yeah, I know has been, been nabbed. I know. So maybe it'll be a tantalizing Ream or some tantalizing Tim or something like that very, very soon. Um, but, and, and then he said, um, can you sign it when I come to Craven Cottage? And Tim was like, yeah, of course. So I'm, I'm enjoying Tim Ream on Twitter. Let's put it that way. Um, Peter, how was the chat uh, with our favorite American at the back? Yeah, no, very, very honest. And um, he speaks really well, Tim, as you'd imagine, as we can see. And I think what's interesting you know, when we're talking about him with, with social media as well, I think that's kind of something that's maybe been missing. I don't know, particularly these last 18 months. I guess it be, when, you know, when fans aren't in the ground, it has become quite disconnected. I mean, where results are and, and way things have sort of progressed in that period. Um, it's kind of been, Fulham have been something that exists on your Twitter feed or exists on on television rather than something that you can actually have a piece of and see and feel and, and an experience so um it's quite nice to see Tim doing that and not really surprising um just off the back of the of the interview uh, I did with him before uh that followed the the Charlton game and 
Yeah, he, he was very honest, um, very honest about last year. Um, just, he described it as awful. Um, he says he, at times he didn't know what they were doing. Uh, and, and yeah, I think you, could, you actually got a sense of how results affected the squad. Now, of course, Tim didn't play as much as he probably would have liked last year. And you, you really got a sense of that with, with those near misses that, you know, that we, we analysed every week and could see and, and how much they sort of just took the, sort of the confidence out of the team. Um, it was also interesting to see what he thought about Scott Parker's exit and whether a change was needed. He described it um, uh, diplomatically quite well as, as mutually beneficial. I think that doesn't really come as a surprise to anyone. I think as, we, as we've talked about, you know, there were players who were sidelined and who weren't involved in that in that team and, and, and that made it very difficult and I think it would have been difficult from, from Parker's perspective to manage that group and then also from players' perspective to 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 find that motivation again. Um I think it was encouraging the way Reem has spoken about what Silver's been able to do since he's come in and, and how players have gone on board because even with a change of manager you still need to find that um motivation for players and uh and that sort of thing. And you know we, we talk about social media and and, and you know Tim Reams had his fair share of trolls and he, he spoke openly about that as well and the impact that has. And I think we, that's quite important because I don't think we all realise that not even sometimes abuse, but how deeply negative con- comments, particularly personal ones, can can affect players. And, you know, he, he said, you know, as an athlete, fine, you can have your opinion of me, but it, it's those those comments that go beyond that that I think he described them as gut-wrenching. And um, we also talked a bit about Tom Kearney's initiative. Um, to with his own social social media network, which has its pros and cons, in my opinion. Um, I think there are some 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 steep downsides to it, but with ID requirements, because it means that some people won't have access to it. But then at the same time, there's not much action being t- taken elsewhere. So uh, it was very open from from Tim, and, and I think that's that's kind of what we've we've missed. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of openness, particularly just actually from. The Fulham players, and I'm sure this is wider in football as well, but we, we you got Tom Kearney launching his new app and kind of with Tom's new app, I'm like, well, if you want to make something that, you know, proves the theory on ID, I don't believe that ID on social media is personally a good idea, but if he's going to make something new that maybe tests the water of whether it's a popular thing, then kind of I'm all for it. Yeah. Like maybe you'll, maybe you'll exactly. prove us wrong. Like, you know, that you're not, you're fully entitled to make something. And, and if people join it, then people join it. I think it'll be difficult. I mean, you need billions to start a new social media channel these days, I think, and a, and a hell of a lot of marketing and very, very clever people. But, you know, try it, see what happens. And maybe it'll be a safe space for footballers. And that, that could be a, a big draw if you were able to get, you know, 50% of footballers in, in, in the top flight in England to, to join this app exclusively, then suddenly it's a bit of a game changer, isn't it? And Tom clearly would have um, sway to be able to potentially look and, and do that. And Marcus was very open in the interview we did with him about how he did see a lot of those comments on social media that were aimed at him and how it hurt and how it was very difficult and how the squad read and see a lot more than I think us as fans realise. I think we think that we can go on Twitter and it's almost just these footballers, yeah, they're too busy, they get too many messages, they don't see it, but they, they clearly do and they hear words that are said on things like podcasts and videos and um, they, they see those kind of like hot takes that you do on Instagram late at night, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a Jack... Speaking of Tim Ream, he is in this category of Fulham player who seems 
so comfortable at championship level. Like seems like you watch them on Sunday and okay, look, there were critics and uh, people praising his performance, but ultimately he looked so assured out there so many times, so composed. The amount of times that I heard the word ream from the Hammersmith end um, was wonderful to see, but he does find it really, really tough in the Premier League. And I don't know what's going to be the long-term future for Tim again if we did go up. Because ultimately, if we went into a Premier League season with Tim Ream as our starting centre-back, I would naturally be nervous. And I don't want to be harsh on Tim. I think he's been a great servant to the club. But ultimately, if he was up against Romelu Lukaku, I would be a little bit terrified. So... Where does that leave him? Well, you'd be terrified if you're most centre-backs going up against Romelu Lukaku in the current form he's in, the, yes. know, in the form he's been in for Inter for the last two seasons. 64 goals in Serie A in, in two seasons. There's nothing to be sniffed at. But look, I, I think there's a there's a kind of element of this and, and there's a brilliant article on Fulham Mission by Sean Guest about kind of mapping out his time you know, in the Premier League against... One against the, his counterparts in terms of uh, Jürgen Anderson and, and Tosin Adarabayo last year, but also in terms of how, you know, different things look in the championship and, and how the eye test is not always perfect. You know, it actually, it was it was quite impressive in terms of you look at what his stats were against someone like Jürgen Anderson. Now, I know that Tim Ream played less games, right? So that the small sample size is smaller, but, you know, ground duels, they were exactly the same. Ream outperformed Anderson in terms of tackles and blocks. He had better passing numbers, uh, better passes completed in the opponent's half, better, more forward passes per game. Um and basically, Tosin finished behind both of them in, in pretty much all ca- categories apart from clearances, right? And the only thing that Jakim Anderson really heavily outperformed Tim Ream in was aerial duels one and aerial duels success. Like, that's an interesting development because sometimes you look at it and go, oh, well, it was clearly so much better when when things changed. But actually... There was also a change of system, a change of shape, um, all of the above that kind of affects the team in different ways. And so, yes, I agree with you in some ways in that it's obviously when you come up from the championship, I think also there's an element here of we've tried it and we've been relegated twice, right? Like it, there, there is this sense that when Fulham or if Fulham go up again, you know, relying on the same things that have, have not helped us out in the last two years or last two years in the Premier League, at least, is going to be a problem because we can't otherwise, you know, what's the, the phrase is, right? If you, you know, to, to do the same thing over and over again, and expect different results is is a sign of madness, right? Like that's that's where you are. But there is an element that I think that Tim Ream was kind of slightly vilified for being part of a team that, that hadn't found its feet. Yes, the changes helped. The change of system helped. All of it changed how Fulham started setting up to games. And then actually when Tim Ream came back in towards the end of the season, it was absolutely fine. Now, Fulham weren't brilliant by any stretch of the imagination, but it wasn't like we were looking at that and going, Tim Ream's at fault for loads of goals. And so therefore, I think you you have to take everything in this with, with a pinch of salt in that is Tim Ream... Was Tim Ream bad in the Premier League in the first couple of games last year because he's not good enough for the Premier League? I don't think that's the case, although I do think there's obviously a case to be made for being an elder statesman and not getting any younger, that you are starting to probably see at some point a dip in in those performance levels. But right now, we're seeing Tim Ream, especially at the weekend, I, I thought he was excellent. Yes, a couple of misplaced passes, sure. But, you know, on the whole, I thought he was incredibly composed. He was the more solid of our defensive partnership and someone who looked like they were going to, you know, be comfortable throughout the the, the season leading this team 
from the back and being able to help Fulham maintain this new style. Uh, so, so yeah, I think it's just a, an element of don't judge everything by exactly how you look at it on the cover because the underlying stats do suggest that Tim Ream was better in, in the Premier League last year than, than people give him credit for. It looked like he enjoyed himself on Sunday, I agree. I mean, it, looked, it was a, it was a, um, a tasty battle with Piazza up front, um, both him and Tosin getting stuck in with him. And yeah, I mean, a, a few times he probably didn't win all the aerial duels, but it did look like he was enjoying, like really playing to the, like feeding off the crowd a little bit and, and, and enjoying himself. And I guess it is quite difficult to, the stats are really interesting on, on Tim, as, as Jack was pointing out, but it is also quite difficult to really assess him in the Premier League from at least a Fulham perspective, one because of the stage of his career that he's at, but also the two seasons that he's had at the Premier League in, in this period. You know, the, the first one was, as we all know, was was full of turmoil and change and different, completely contrasting styles in that time. And then obviously last year wasn't really involved at all. So yeah, there is the fact that he is sort of, he is what, 34 coming up in October. Um, he, he'll know he's near the, the latter end of, uh, stages of his career now. And I don't think, you know that I know we're always looking to the long term, but I think in, in in Tim's case, it's a case of using him for now and and, and appreciating him in in the now. You know his his role sort of changed that elder statesman, and he insisted he's always been that. But um, you know he's helping the younger kids now in the first team, supporting them. Something that he a, a kind of position he's sort of grown into, and I think those are, are qualities that that you value, and particularly in a season uh, like this one. So for sure, I've, I mean you know. I, Tim is a consistent performer and we can see what he can do at championship level and and, and whether he was good, he could have done it in the Premier League, I'm not so sure. But I think especially this season, he, he's, a, he's a valued member of the squad. The thing about Tim is he, he, he joined us in 2015. He'd have been 27, but he felt like an elder statesman when he first arrived at the age of 27, which isn't really that old, but there's something about Tim where you're just like, yeah, he seems like a a, a natural leader and, and someone maybe that was older than he was. Like I kind of could have imagined he was 33 when he joined, but actually he was quite young in the prime of his career um, when he did join from uh, Bolton in, in 2015. Um, speaking of, of, of centre-back, um, Peter, what has happened to Michael Hector? I can't help thinking that you know, the last time he was at this level for Fulham, he was absolutely unbelievable for five to six months. I, I still think a big reason why Fulham in the end did manage to secure promotion by hook or by crook. Um, he made such a difference in the team. We know that he had a nightmare in the first two games of the Premier League, but like we're, we're saying can you judge Tim Ream by those first games that he played in the Premier League? And I don't know if you can fully judge Michael Hector. Um, he played in the Gold Cup for Jamaica. Do we expect to see much of him this season, Peter? Or do you think it's locked in with Ream and Tosin and, and Hector's going to have to fight his way also above Alfie Mawson to get back into this team? Well, that's 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 where he's at at the moment. Um, I think we're I think it's pretty set in terms of Tim and, and Tosin. They do seem to be first choice at the moment for Marco Silva. Silva's spoken about wanting to reduce the number of centre-backs in the squad. There's also Maxime Lamartian, so he's been linked with a move to France. Um, and there's Terence Congolo, who's, who's still working his way back as well. So it's it's difficult for Michael Hector, and it's a strange one. And I, I do agree. I mean, it's you know he, he had a couple of games of Premier League. They were really difficult games for him. There's no buttering that up. Um, never really saw him again at that point. Um it's it's been one of those. He, he, he every time he'd mention it to Scott Parker, he'd say, "Well, you know, it's you got to work yourself back into contention." But we never really even even saw that. And um, 
Obviously, this season, he's not been there for pre-season. Um, you know, he's, he's been away with, with Jamaica for the Gold Cup. Marco Silva probably hasn't really seen him. Um, so he's going to have to do that catching up from from this point. Um, and as you say, Alfie Molson's back uh, and fit. Um, he was on the bench. I, I guess it will come down to a couple of factors, whether uh, of those centre-halves, because we know that that, that number's got to reduce before the end of August, who's going to get out and want to play more minutes elsewhere? Um, and who wants to to hang around and and, and try and fight for for a place? Um, it's it is a strange one, and we all know what what Michael Hector can do at this level. Um, I think getting into a rhythm of games would certainly help him, um, and competitive games, particularly at this standard. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it is really really strange how it sort of panned out for him. But I think it if he is to come back, it would take a couple of weeks because of the fact that Silver really hasn't seen so much of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that'd be the best thing for him, Jack, is another championship club. Ideally, let's not give him to a a, a promotion rival, but maybe if there's a a mid-team to lower championship team that would need a centre-back, I imagine there will be plenty of takers for for Michael Hector at this level um, if we were to to stick him out on loan. And maybe he can then come back for Fulham, a, a reinvigorated player, but gets maybe the, blows the cobwebs off for another team. Perhaps. Um, obviously, there's links to Bournemouth. So so we'll see how that one pans out, which seems a bit funny. Surely not. Surely he doesn't want to go well, there. That's it. <laughs> All the clubs. Really, really I mean, that would be surprising. One. Really, really funny one. You were like, oh, well, he wants to go to the coach. You've binned him off. Um, but, <laughs> what? Well, yeah. I mean, look, all I'm doing is reporting on what I'm seeing, right? No, now. no, but, sorry. I'm not shooting the messenger here. Um, but yeah, yeah, it did seem weird. I saw it and I was like, uh, no, like, <laughs> I assume not. But um, yeah, it's a it's a funny one. So we'll see. I assume we'd rather join Derby County than Bournemouth at this stage. Like, nah, let's not take the mick. Right? Let's yeah. Not take the mic. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, one other um, article that you wrote uh, that came out today, Peter, was looking at how Fulham are making changes to their academy to help cope with Brexit. And uh, Fulham Fulham's academy stars have been on the pitch in the last couple of games. It's been really really nice to see in Fabio Calvalio and. and Tyrese Francois um, and I guess with Tyrese Francois being from Australia not from the European Union maybe um, Fulham are looking to try and break the loopholes um, that now exist now now Brexit is and the rules have now come in so how is this affecting Fulham and what changes can we expect to see to the academy in the next few years in terms of that recruitment yeah so um Brexit will have an uh, an impact, and I think the sort of assessment has been it will have more of an impact on the at youth level for Fulham than it will do necessarily in the first team at this point. Um, obviously, there are changes requirement. Um, it's the there's now a GB entry requirements system where you there are set criteria you have to meet to gain a set number of points to to uh, get approved basically to, to for a work visa about three years. So, from an academy perspective, it. The, the the challenges remain pretty much the same. And we've sort of seen, well, we saw in recent weeks, obviously, Mika Bjerov go off to, to Arsenal. It's retention, um, it's recruitment, uh, and then it's developing and, and and that transition period, which is a challenge for all clubs. And particularly so for Fulham, because of where they are, and we've talked about this a few times, that they're in London, there's a very competitive catchment area. They have to think outside of the box, and they have done in the past. We've seen players come in last summer, um, under 23's left-back Ziad Larkesh came from PSG. Um, at the age of 17. Um, another example would be Marek Rodak, came from Slovakia at the age of 16. Those are transfers that just aren't possible anymore. Um, you can't sign players under the age of 18. Um, 
from within the European Union that there's not that freedom of movement anymore. So from an academy perspective, they're now trying, they'll have to work out a way to move forward where they can try and retain their best players because there's now a premium on British talent. That's why someone like Mika Bjerre, if he's scoring so many goals, is, is so appealing to so many teams. Um, and then also find, find new ways of, of bringing players in. Um, so the reshuffle we saw announced last month, which saw um, Hugh Jennings move up from academy director to head of football development, which is a new role. And it, his role is specifically looking at this, uh, those three factors, how, to, how Fulham can progress in terms of building links domestically, internationally, um, and then also uh, the, the, the transition pathways and how that can, 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 can be solidified. You know, we, we've talked about loans and how the, often Fulham youth players don't always go on loan. I think there is a t- determination to try and work that out and, 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 and try and build those, those, those pathways in a, in a more consistent way. Colin Amogbahin's role's changed. He was an under-23s coach. He was a co-coach with Mark uh, Pembridge. He's now got a new role within Marco Silva's staff um, uh, as a first-team development coach, I think it's the title, and he will work with those sort of players who are in transition. So the ones who we saw in pre-season who were in the first-team setup but probably may not get involved or, or will get involved, he'll be there to support them. And I think that's a role that really suits him considering his background in working with young people and, and, and his work with junior elite, uh, the football club as, as well. So it's essentially it's... Um, Brexit poses quite quite a big challenge for the academy. It poses a challenge in the sense that it poses uh, not a I wouldn't say a threat, but it, it it poses a new challenge to their leading status because that's what they are. They are one of the best academies in the country, and if they want to maintain that, they will have to find new ways of of moving forward. And um, in the piece, I just sort of outline those sort of sort of details and 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 what these changes mean. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised to see further changes. I think they'll need to be to to try and to keep that edge, to keep them moving forward and, and, and to, 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 to uh, keep progressing. We keep seeing more examples like Francois and, and Fabio Carvalho. Yeah, I guess it's just a, a question of kind of adapting and developing. And, and look, everybody's going to see under changes. And, you know, we spoke last week on the pod about when we were previewing Middlesbrough about the fact that they were looking at, you know, their new anal- analysis team and the fact that they're starting to bring in players from from South America. We'll see more and more of that, I think. Um, and so, you know, changes to to be proactive in this area has got to be something that we celebrate because, you know, you look at you know, this point and it's going to be very easy to get left behind if you're not thinking about things, you know, cleverly. And and look, we've seen over the course of this week, especially the fact that clubs are having to pay more and more to keep up and it's leaving, you know, leaving even the biggest clubs in some serious turmoil in terms of finances. So investing, you know, smartly into, into pipelines, into the future seems like a, you know, a very good place for Fulham to be in. So yeah, it's, uh, it's good news as far as I'm concerned. It's also worth mentioning one of the other big changes that was announced last month concerns the women's team. And we've talked about the changes that are undergoing there, but they've moved from the foundation side to the uh, performance side of the club. So that comes under Hugh Jennings' remit. So Steve Jay will report to him. And, and Steve Jay, who, uh, who we know is a very busy man, has uh, less responsibilities on his plate now because his role is full-time. So that's an important step. Uh, and progressing the women's team and developing them in a, in a holistic way, it, it remains a consistent target um, going forward. So um, there'll be one to watch to see how that sort of steps forward now that they've come under more firmly, I guess, the, the Fulham remit. All right, well, we'll take a quick break and then afterwards it's Transfer Talk. 
Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Let's do transfer talk then, Peter. There is still... 19 days left of the transfer window, which I'm sure you'll be delighted about. Uh, I feel like you're approaching like mile 18 of the marathon here. Um, there's still still a way to go, still some of the hardest yards, but you, you maybe can start to see the finishing line. Um, how's our friend from Brazil getting on? Has he, uh, has he managed to hop on a plane yet? Rodrigo Moon. Rodrigo Moon is if uh, if you weren't aware, Peter. Yes, um, <laughs> I, I have heard of this man now. Um, no, he. Um, as far as I'm aware, he's not on a plane yet. Um, as far as I'm aware, there's not been a medical yet. Um, but yeah, I, I think I wrote last week that it's close. Um, I think everyone sort of known that it's close for ages. I know in Brazil they're reporting that it's it's done and and, and whatever else. But um, we're not we're not quite there yet. But we're still trending in the right direction on that one noises are still positive he i mean I, we talked about how long it may take for him to, to get here and i think he's out of isolation in brazil now but um even if he does eventually arrive you'll have to quarantine here so uh, as far as i'm aware unless there's some new loopholes that i'm not privy to but i don't think there are so um yeah we're, we're time it, Patience is the word I'd use for him. Patience. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I feel like it's going to be <laughs> break the Fulham internet when we see a picture of like Moon is at Heathrow or something. <laughs> you won't see any pictures of him because he'd be whisked away to a hotel to spend, to spend 14 days locked away. So um, maybe, there's, maybe there's a suits. Fulham fan that works in hotel quarantine that will, could, can, can give if us the that's you, you, let us know. <laughs> A photo of a man in a hazmat suit with a Brazil flag on it. said, it's him. <laughs> he's here. <laughs> he's here and he's perfect. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I, I mean, maybe you could, maybe I'd do it for the money. But if someone said to me, I've got to spend two weeks locked in a hotel in like Uxbridge or something. You, hey, leave my borough uh, alone. There's, no, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with Uxbridge. It's probably more the hotel that they'll have chosen. But like, oof, I'd have to be dedicated to my craft to, to do to do that. Really, really would. Um, okay, next one then is probably more looking people going out the door, Peter. Um, you broke the Anguissa news on Monday that he wants to leave the club. And obviously that is why he wasn't in the squad on Saturday. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that we, we were all mildly excited at the prospect of... Andre Frank and Gisa tearing it up at this level. Um, Some of us got a little bit ahead of ourselves, didn't well, I think, we? I think I think we did. Um, I, it's one of those. He, he doesn't want to play in the championship. I think he said as much a couple of years ago as well. Um, and yeah, and Marco Silva doesn't want anyone who's not committed to being basically in 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 the picture. Really, um, I think it's one of those that can be seen as quite negative from one perspective. But I actually think it, there's more to it than than that. Um, there is strong interest in him. Um, it's been, you know, we know about Valencia and their, their loan offer. Roma are looking at him. There are club. There are more than two Premier League clubs looking at him pretty seriously. He is a player who's shown he can play a, you know, top six standard in uh, in a top five league. So, and I, I, there's a lot of interesting comments. I mean, well, after that story came out about Anguissa, oh, you know, get good riddance, whatever, and. And I think that that's fine from the perspective of yeah, you don't want someone who doesn't want to be there. Um, but the idea that he's not a good player, I still find to be absolutely baffling. From, from I, you know, I, it's yeah, that's just my, my. I think he's a very, very good player, and I, the interest speaks for itself on that. I don't think there's too much more that can be said. But it's a shame. I, it's one of those where 
like with, with John Michael Sarah, John Michael Sarah obviously is a different different story, but considering how Anguissa has done when he's gone on loan and then also how, how he did for half a season, probably you could say, last year, you do wonder about different circumstances with him. You know, Fulham had managed to be successful in that first Premier League season. You let him give him another season to adapt and suddenly what Fulham have got from him in this time frame may have looked very, very different. Um, and we we may see that wherever he goes next. Um, it just hasn't hasn't worked. And I guess that's a story for a few of those signings. It just hasn't worked. Um, when you, know, you can do all your alternate realities all you like, but that's 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 nuts and bolts of it. But um, from a Fulham perspective, that means he, he won't be involved, and and that's that's why he wasn't in the squad on the Sunday. Yeah, I think this is it. It's a, I think it's a shame, um, but unfortunately, we we kind of look at it and go, okay, it's just a, a transfer that hasn't worked out. It doesn't mean that Fulham are a bad club. It doesn't mean Anguissa is a bad player. It's just a transfer that hasn't quite ever take you know ever caught fire and taken off. And it, like you say, it's easy to look at alternative you know realities. I remember watching him in that year for Villarreal, where he was absolutely excellent. I remember watching him at Marseille that year that they got to the Europa League final. He was absolutely excellent. Um, just hasn't quite you know, had the the sustained period of excellence, I think, that many of us had hoped for at Fulham. And, you know, that's that's how it is. Um, there are always going to be players who have a languid, a more languid style than others that people are like, oh, they don't work hard. They don't work for the badge. But, you know, some players are just more languid than others. You know, Messi walks more than anyone on earth. It doesn't mean he doesn't love, you know, playing football. He doesn't work hard. It's just, just one of those things. So you you look at it and, and, and you just say, this is a player who hasn't quite worked out for, but it doesn't make him a bad player. And I'd imagine that Fulham will still be looking to recoup most of, if not all of, the transfer fee they splashed out on Anguissa those years ago, which probably speaks for itself. If people are willing to pay you know, that kind of money for, for a player like this, then then there's something there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ends up at Aston Villa. That's my, um, that's my hot take on the matter. Uh, and Peter, something that I imagine a lot of people listening would, would love a little bit of clarification, if at all possible at the moment, is, is the contract situation with Fabio Carvalho, which kind of came out of nowhere that um, reports in the mail saying he turned down a new contract. Do you know much more about that? Is there much information out there at the moment? Um, yeah, a bit of a dampener that one dropping on Sunday morning before the uh, before the Borough game, the opening day of the season. Um, yeah, as far as I know, there's there's nothing too much to report on it, but um, one one to keep an eye on, I think. All right, okay. And then the other one is uh, Abubakar Kamara. Jack, this looks like it's a a, a, a done deal. Uh, Abu is off to Greece. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's a bit of a funny one, and nothing's done till it's done, right? But th- there is this. There's a sense that it feels like. Uh, Abubakar Kamara is off to Aris Thessaloniki. Um, I've had, I've been inundated with DMs from Aris Thessaloniki fans saying that they, their sources in Greece are telling them that this is a player who's about to sign. I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that the Aris chairman is in London um, discussing the the thrashing out the, the ins and outs. So yeah, I think this is probably you know one that, that will go through. I'd imagine that it's probably linked to the Munoz move as well. I think that once once the funds get freed up it looks like it could be a sort of three four million deal for Rubikar Kamara um and I would suggest that if that is what goes through there um that will probably help shift things along in terms of the Rodrigo Munoz case as well those um the Kamara talks because obviously this has been bumbling on for a while hasn't it the first set broke down I believe because of personal terms so they've now resumed so clearly there's been some kind of uh impasse removed on that front so um yeah it looks like that's getting really close yeah, 
Okay. Well, they finished uh, third in the Greek Super League last year. I think they're um, known as the Eagles of Thessaloniki, which is quite a cool name. Okay, that's quite cool. Um, they sadly lost in the uh, second round of the uh, of the Europa Conference League, so there'll be no um, there'll be no Abu Kamara in the Conference League. They lost to Astana from from Kazakhstan, so not the greatest start to the season. So clearly, that's why they are looking for AK forty seven. I will be sad when he goes. I will too. I, don't, I, I said this uh, there's something about him. He's been such a character since he joined Fulham. There have been so many moments of of Abu Kamara you know there was all of the kind of there was the yoga incident but he played both uh playoff finals I believe yeah. actually did he play the second yeah, yeah, one yeah. yeah he played the second one um so many false dawns with with Abu as well I still think the pandemic came at an annoying time for him where he'd just broken his place back in the side um and and was looking good uh for, for the end of the season so I know he's not everyone's bit cup of tea um and I understand why he needs to go and I'm 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 glad that Fulham are recouping some of the money that we paid for him but I will miss Abu Kamara because he is the kind of character for me that makes football what it is. Yeah, I will also miss him. I said this to one of the the people I was talking to about it. I said I was like he's a bit chaotic, he's physically outstanding obviously. Um he's been you can imagine he's an absolute nightmare off the bench, but he probably needs to get some, you know, get some real, real kind of starting minutes under his belt as well. Um, but I just am going to miss a bit of the chaos. Like it was obviously great. It was obviously there were there were bad times, there were good times, there were you know there were all sorts of times with with Abu. But there there are elements of this that you are uh, occasionally just chuck the chaos on and see what happens. And 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 I will miss having that option just as even if it's just a kind of if you won't laugh, you'll cry. Um, but yeah, it, it, you'll miss him, especially in terms of, I think, what we've seen off the pitch. And, you know, even last week, his his, his unveiling in the new kit was a was a joy to behold. So, yeah, yeah. I, I will miss I will miss having him about. And I think there's such a like misconception about Abubakar. I enjoyed, he put an Instagram video out where someone, I don't know, followed him for a day in the life of Abubakar Kamara. And I think he put it on his um, Twitter or Instagram. I can't remember, but he seemed like a really nice family man who was, you know, really quite grounded and down to earth. And yes, he's obviously got a real character about him and he's a bit cheeky and all of that, but that's all it is with Abu. I think people think he either is arrogant or flashy and he just doesn't come across like that at all in, in, in this video. So yeah, I, I will be sad to see Abu go, but um, hopefully Greece will uh, do him the world of good. Good luck to Thessaloniki. I've, I've just realised they're actually called the gods of war. They're named after Ares. Um, so he'll fit right in, won't he? He'll right in. Nice. <laughs> does, every, does every Greek team uh, named after a mythical god? Pretty much, yeah. Like, I mean, what else would you name your teams after? Like, I guess. Uh, any more silly questions? Gods of War's got to be right up there, though. Yeah, Gods I mean, of War is a nickname. Not going to be much pretty, better than that. Pretty big deal. Well, it's better than the cottagers, isn't it? Well, yeah, it depends how you look at it. But you know, it's, um, <laughs> one for the stats. One for the stats. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening today. Um, let's see what happens up at Huddersfield on Saturday. If you're going, enjoy. I'm very upset that um, I work on Saturday mornings. And whilst I can make a lot of away games this year, I wouldn't have got to Huddersfield until 3.30 um, if I'd have tried to go after work this Saturday. So I'm, I'm very upset not to be going back to the first away game back with fans. Uh, Peter, are you heading up to West Yorkshire for this one? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I will be. I'll be there. I'll be there. Back of the back of the away end with your shirt off. Absolutely. That's where I belong. But yeah, <laughs> do say hello if you see me. I'll probably be wearing some kind of big coat or something. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the one looking one. like a train spotter. <laughs> <laughs> he's not. I, I do actually have a little monocular thing. Like I did get, mo- I did get mocked for that. Don't wear that. Like, honestly, harsh. don't. No, wear no, no, it. no, not a monocle. I mean, I don't wear a monocle. I mean, what use is that? Um, no, a monocular, <laughs> as in, as in uh, something like to, a bit you know, when you're in the ground, so you can see the other side. Yeah. Well, he's sucking, you know, see he's coming on off the bench. You are, are you are you on the train to Huddersfield or do you drive? I'll be doing the train. I don't want to drive it. It's a long way okay. to go in my tiny little car. Any 8am cans, uh, a, a four pack of Thai ski? No, that would end my uh, employment. Oh. <laughs> it depends if you can hold it or not, mate. That's a different question. <laughs> oh, that, that, that answer should be revealing then, Jay. Yeah, exactly. For one game this season, Peter, is it possible for you to, I don't know, get some cover for, like, I don't know, maybe Peterborough away and you can join us on the train for the ATM cams? To be honest, the athletic would probably embrace that as a piece. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. Why not? Here you are. I took the ATM train with a poor pack of Thai skis. My latest for the athletic. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Great seeds for everybody. I'm so excited that we've roped Peter into something he clearly does not want to do. Uh, thank you very much for listening this week I'll be back on Sunday evening uh, looking back at the Huddersfield game and looking ahead to Tuesday's trip to Millwall uh, Peter will be back next week after that game uh, against Millwall Jack Collins thank you very much thank you for having me Sammy as always and peace thank you very much no thank you thank you very much we've been the Thursday Club have a good weekend come on you whites you whites